The scripture reading this morning is 1 Peter chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable, honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. The word of the Lord. Allow me to pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this day. And, and I pray that as we proclaim your word this morning, uh, that your Holy Spirit will communicate deep within us our deep connection to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, you know that Halloween is Coming up, we talked about trunk or treat, and uh, our consumer culture loves Halloween, so we can see the haunted houses are thriving, and the, uh, the horror movies are now on cable television, the spider webs are making their way around uh, town. You know, there's another holiday, uh, the day after Halloween, uh, that most, almost nobody pays attention to anymore. It's called All Saints Day, and I want to invite you to to commemorate All Saints Day on the day after Halloween. It always falls on November 1st. It's one of my favorite feast days in the church's liturgical calendar. You know, the church has a liturgical calendar that goes way, way back. And, um, and in the, litur the church's liturgical calendar, there are feast days for specific saints. And you have the Roman Catholic uh, version, you have the Eastern Orthodox version who have different names of people that they, um, uh, that they highlight. But even things like people like St. Peter and St. Paul, 
uh, Jerome and all kinds of people you've never heard of. They each have these feast days. And then All Saints Day is kind of like the day for the rest of us. Um, All Saints Day is the day where we remember that even though there are particular saints throughout the, the years, throughout history that have stood out in a unique way, that all believers are part of the communion of saints even though um, we don't get our own days of the year. Um, So especially it's the day when we remember specific people in our lives, in our families, or in our church family who have passed away, who have gone to be with the Lord, and especially in the past year. Um, We do this. We remember these people who have gone before us and who have died and are with Christ not only because we love them and we cherish our memories with them, but because from a biblical point of view, we're still very much connected to them. We belong to one another. Um, We belong to them, they belong to us. And so when we say in the Apostles' Creed, which we will in a few moments, the communion of saints, we are expressing this connection that we have to other believers that transcends time and space and even death itself. And this is a connection that the scriptures affirm All throughout the Bible, we're reminded not only of the amazing fact that God calls us into one-on-one relationship with God so that it, it seems as though it's just me and God and no one else, and we need to know that invitation and uh, that welcome deep within our being, this, uh, this truth, this remarkable truth. But in the Bible, it's held all the way through with the message that we sometimes miss, which is that God's passion is to know in not just individuals, but in us, and to relate to an us as a community. And so we talk about how the Holy, Script, uh, the Holy Spirit resides within us and lives within each of us. And so we think about when I give my life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into my life, and so Christ is, is someone that happens in me. But we have to also remember that Christ is not just someone that happens in me. Christ is also someone that happens between us, between one another. And we can forget that at times. Our text in 1 Peter reminds us of this. And it's, he speaks about um, our lives being built as a house. Um, that, that God wants to build, a house not built with bricks and mortar, but with our very lives, as if our lives are meant to be placed side by side with each other or um, stacked on top of one another, interconnected with each other, so that together we form a community in which God is present and Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation upon which our community is built. This house ends up then becoming a temple, a house for God to live in, where God is found. We think that God only dwells in individual human hearts. Peter reminds us that God wants to dwell within a community. And so we as a spiritual family are like a house, a temple where God can dwell. Um, And this house is a place of reconciliation. Uh, You remember in the temple in Jerusalem, they had the sacrificial system and they would offer sacrifices as a means to be reconciled with God, but not just with God, also with one another. And Peter tells us in his letter 
um, that we are to perform spiritual sacrifices. Um, sacrifices are the means by which broken relationships are restored. What are spiritual sacrifices? Well, well I'm sorry if I did something wrong. Um, I love you. Spiritual sacrifices are when we give ourselves away for the sake of others. Certainly, we have to deal with individuals. But the very nature of our lifestyle and our call at, as a church and our church teaching must say from the beginning what the goal is. What is the goal? The goal is the communion of saints, a shared life together as family. Why? Because this is who God is. Father, Son, and Holy, Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian life of God, we are meant to live in community. So the spiritual family uh, God's, uh, is God's strategy. Uh, it is God's strategy for the healing of the world. And it is both medium and message, as Marshall McLuhan would say. Um, Jesus said, may they be one, Father, so that the world may believe it was you who sent me, that they may be one as we are one, with me and them and you and me. And so the church, the spiritual family of God is the beginning and the end. The only form of Christian life that is available to us is a common one, is a common life. And until Christ is someone that happens not just within us, but between us, then the gospel remains largely an abstraction. Father Richard Rohr put it like this. He said, we are now paying the price for centuries in which the church was narrowed from a full vision of peoplehood to an almost total preoccupation with private persons and their devotional needs. But history has shown uh, that individuals who are confirmed in their individualism by the very character of our evangelism, by the way in which we evangelize for individual souls, will never create church except after the model of a service station. They will use it as a commodity like everything else. The prophet Haggai, when the, uh, the Hebrews had, and the Israelites had returned from exile, he criticized them for uh, dwelling comfortably in their paneled houses while the common walls of the temple lie in ruins. So it was then, so it is today. Any trip to Europe will remind you of the church who has spent too much time on our paneled houses leaving uh, the walls of the beautiful cathedrals um, falling to ruins. God needs living stones, living stones making a spiritual house. This means that a, a significant part of our calling as a community of faith, as a church, is to create an environment. Um, there is this thing called the, the six great ends of the church. It's in our Presbyterian um, book of order in our constitution. And, this, uh, and one of the great ends is that the church would be a place of, that would provide shelter, nurture, 
and spiritual fellowship for the people of God. That's one of our purposes. Shelter, think of the house. Nurture and spiritual fellowship for the people of God. That means that we are called to create a particular kind of environment where people feel safe, where there's shelter, and where people are able to be nurtured so that they can grow uh, in fellowship. Why? Because God wants us to grow. God is passionate about our growth. And the church is to be that environment, that community where that growth takes place. We all know about environments. In some communities, uh, environments are nurturing and some environments are unfortunately not nurturing. Environments matter. There, there was an article, a fascinating article several years ago in the Washington Post uh, about the life of a 31-year-old man um, by the name of Isidore Roquel. And Isidore spent the first 11 years of his life in a Romanian orphanage before he was adopted by a family in San Diego. In the orphanage, many of the children were beaten. Many of them were put in straitjackets. Many of them were put in cages. And this was hidden to the entire world until journalists from ABC's 2020 program back in 1989 showed up with their cameras and shared what was going on with the world. Well, after the world learned about what was happening in that orphanage, there was a spate of adoptions that took place. And among those adoptions was Isidore's. And with that adoption, his life completely changed. Radically and overnight, he was pulled out of one environment that was destroying his soul, his body, his life. And he was plucked out of that environment and placed into one that he could grow and thrive in all kinds of positive ways. It was, he was 11 years old at the time, but it was estimated that developmentally he was probably closer to six. And the adoption, of course, didn't end all of his problems. Uh, no, the story is very honest in sharing that his life has been very difficult and the trauma was real and the scars are there for Isidore. But as an adult, he returned to Romania and he went to visit that orphanage and he met other children who were not adopted but spent the remainder of their childhoods in that orphanage. And Isidore graphically saw the blessing and power and, uh, of escaping from one environment and being placed into another. Um, I did some nonprofit work with, uh, with youth in Southern California, and I learned in my research that sociologists have gotten away from the phrase at-risk youth when talking about youth that are you know, at risk of, of destructive behaviors or drugs or suicide, and they've replaced it with the phrase youth in high-risk environments. Why do you think that is? Because the problem doesn't, resolve, res doesn't reside with the youth. The problem resides with the environment in which this child is growing up. That doesn't mean that child doesn't have a responsibility to respond to his environment. Yes, of course he does. Um, but environments matter. Environments matter. Some are toxic, some are deadly, some are deadening. Some, on the other hand, are liberating and life-giving. 
and, uh, and some lead to growth and change. Um, and we are called to be that kind of life-giving community in that kind of environment here at Mount O. Um, this is why parents look for and go through a, a lot of energy to find the right educational environment for their children. And for some, it's a matter of finding the right teacher. For some, it's a matter of finding the right group of friends. For some, it's being in a large environment. For some, it's being in a small environment. For some, it's in public education. For some, it's in private education. For some, it's at home. Every child has their own unique needs, and parents go through great lengths to try to find the best of, um, environment for their children. And we should not judge one another when those environments are not the same. The church has been called to be this kind of environment that provides shelter, spiritual fellowship, so that nurture and growth can take place. Not just spiritually, but in every area of our lives, relationally, in our work, in our homes, in the area of knowledge, in our character. There are two primary ways, uh, I think, in, in the Bible that God um, grows us, two primary means by which God draws us to himself, shapes our character, makes us more like Jesus. And the first is through the things we don't want in life, right? Their problems, our difficulties, our failures, our tragedies. And so you work your way through the Bible and you find that time and time again, progress is made by God using difficult situations um, in people's lives as opportunities for them to grow. And so Jacob finds incredible disappointment year after year working for his unscrupulous father-in-law and through it he grows in patience. Joseph languishes in prison and, and he's totally forgotten and through that experience he grows in trust. Ruth deals with enormous grief and incredible loss and through that loss she grows in faithfulness. Moses makes massive mistake in his life, ends up in the desert for 40 years, and through that experience, he grows in his understanding of God's call and timing in his life. Esther is challenged to go into a place of danger, and by choosing to do it and to go through it, she grows in her courage. Paul faces persecution over and over again, and he's beaten, and he's thrown into prisons. And again and again, through that persecution, he grows in understanding of God's faithfulness in all circumstances. This is why he can write in, the, in his letter to the Romans in the fifth chapter, we even boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, Character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint us. We don't want these bad things to happen in our lives, but the ultimate goal is Christ, is Christ in me and me in him. So God uses our trouble, but it's not just through our trouble that God uses us to grow. The other way is through the gift to us, the gift of community, where there's an abiding sense of safety and security that pervades our experiences. The gift of community is the other means by which God grows us and forms us into the likeness of Jesus. So that when we go through difficult times, there is a sense that no matter what risks we take, 
or failures we experience or opportunities we are given or miss, that we have been and will be sheltered and protected by God through it within relationships um, that are secure and safe. Through Jesus Christ, God gives us this commitment to community that nothing can destroy. You might remember uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I shared this a couple of years ago. In the 1940s, Abraham Maslow discover, uh, developed this pyramid of needs, leading to what human being ought to be, what he called a self-actualized human being. To Maslow, uh, self-actualization is when we have grown to the place where um, we are morally and creatively fulfilled in our lives, and we have a sense of freedom. But, and this is where our lives are supposed to be, at the top. But we can't get there unless we have other needs that are met along the way. And so, not only do you need your biological or physiological needs met, we need air, food, water, we need the things that make us survive and live as creatures, um, but you also need your safety needs met. And so if you're living in a context or an environment where there is fear, where there is fear of your safety or, or, or even your inner safety, then you can't grow. And so this is why it's important that Christians do work in places like Mathari uh, uh, in Kenya, in the slums, because those, the, the, the needs need to be met at the basic level. Um, this, is, this is a serious problem and why we need to be praying for the children right now in the whole land. Um, and it's only going to get worse this week. Um, uh, Lord, have mercy. But once those safety needs are met, uh, if you're constantly, yeah, struggling, we can't find that. But once those are, those are met, we also need our social needs met. We need friendship, love, and belonging, sense of affection from family and friends from the body of Christ. And then you need your self-esteem needs met. You need to know that people respect you whether through what you've done or simply through who you are. And as the body of Christ, your respect doesn't come from your achievements um, or lack of respect come from your failures. It comes from your identity that has been given to you as the beloved in Christ. And this is a community that is meant to affirm that in our relationships with one another. If you have those at the foundation of your life, you will be growing. And this is what God wants for us. When we come to the table in a moment, um, our prayer shouldn't not only be that God would meet me one-on-one -on -one as I participate in the bread and the wine, but that God would also meet us as a community, that God would be within us and between us, binding us together um, as brothers and sisters, creating for us a spiritual fellowship where the power of God can be unleashed into the world. I may just be a solitary stone, but God says when you place your life into this connection with others, I will do something that your life alone cannot do. I will build your life into a community where people will grow in Christ and live adventurous lives. Um, <clears throat> when I first joined the Presbyterians, I'll end with this, um, I was 16 years old and I was lost and confused to say the least. Um, and not just the Presbyterians, but whatever, the church. 
Um, I had been in Roman Catholic experience uh, before, but I had wandered away from any kind of church experience. And I stumbled my way into a Presbyterian youth group. And there was an amazing youth pastor there, like Jared, who changed my life in his welcome. But it wasn't just the pastor that changed my life, or even primarily the youth pastor. Um, It wasn't just one person. It was the meeting of all kinds of teenagers whose faith was real and who would invite us to their homes in the summer for pool parties, and we'd gather around fire pits, and we would open our hearts, and we would have discussions on every topic imaginable. We could ask our embarrassing questions. We could bear our souls. And through that back and forth, that nurturing environment, I and the other youth grew in our knowledge and relationship and our faith in our Savior. That church and church, the God's spiritual family has changed my life forever. This is what Mount O has been called to be, what every church has been called to be, living stones built into a spiritual house so that when people come to this place, they say, that's the kind of environment I want to be in. May it be so. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for creating a community. Lord, to be alone in this world is an all too terrifying thing. In fact, that is what hell is. So may we never be alone. Even in a, in a world of individualism, may we find our life wrapped up in the life of the Trinity, wrapped up in the life of our brothers and sisters. Create for us and in us an environment where we can each feel safe and where we can each grow in knowledge and in faith, no matter where we've been, no matter what we have experienced, no matter what we are experiencing now. May that be so for this community. In Jesus' name, amen.